Best spot to eat in Montana? I have no idea because it's why is that in Minnesota? <laughs> I've oh never, my gosh! Never been I've, in my- <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna just drill uh, state abbreviations now for before every podcast. <laughs> He's, he he deserved. He needed to fuck up once. I fucked up like seven times. So. Yeah. <laughs> that job the show where two not so interesting guys ask interesting people one question and then interrupt them as they try to answer it joining us today is nicole middendorf nicole graduated from st cloud state university in st cloud minnesota with an international business degree after college she was a food broker and mary Kay consultant soon after she began her career in finance at morgan stanley in Wayzata, montana four years later she started her own practice in 2003 Today, she is a public speaker, author of several financial wellness books, and still the CEO and wealth advisor of that practice, Prosper Wealth Financial. Nicole, welcome to the show. And how the fuck did you get that job? (laughs) I married uh, a wrong person. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty cool story. I never planned on being a financial advisor. I I wanted to be like Madeline Albright or Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, I had lived over in Germany in high school and and college as well. I studied abroad and just, I was fascinated with the United Nations. And I was like, gosh, I want to go to law school. I want to be like Madeleine Albright or Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like, I want to change the world. I want to make a huge difference. And went up to St. Cloud State for international business and marketing and uh, met a guy and got married right out of college. And he was a stockbroker back then. It was Dean Witter, which became Morgan Stanley Dean Witter, but he was a stockbroker. And I was selling, I was coaching figure skating throughout college and then selling Mary Kay cosmetics. So I started selling makeup to the men in his office. <laughs> and the branch manager pulled me aside. He's like, you know, your husband's here, but like, if you're selling makeup to men, like you should be a financial advisor. I'm like, no, that's okay. Like I'm going to go on to law school. Like I've got this big plan of, you know, what I want to do. And, um, I just, my now ex-husband was just adamant, like you're not going to law school. Like that's not your path. So I took a job as food broker buying and selling in potatoes and onions. And I started transporting them to Mexico and Canada using my international business degree (laughs) and uh, still selling Mary Kay, still coaching figure skaters. And it just wasn't like, I liked it, but it just wasn't, it wasn't my thing. Like I I wanted so badly to go to law school. And was that that like the mercantile market? Is that like, is that like kind of trading futures or what is that like when you're, when you're dealing with like the food market? Actually potatoes and onions. (laughs) So I would be on the phone with the trucking company finding a truck to go pick up some potatoes <laughs> somewhere and transport them, you know, for Walmart or grocery store or whomever. So it was physical produce. I never knew that I would learn about the different types of potatoes and the different types of onions. <laughs> so it was, That's unreal. I was the first female salesperson there, which I thought was really interesting because I'm really not that old. <laughs> and, but it was just, it wasn't, I just knew it wasn't like the right fit. And my really good friend from college was like, hey, 
there's this position open at this insurance agency to be a recruiter. He's like, you'd be awesome at it. I'm like, mm, no, like I'm, you know, I'm going to law school. And again, my husband at the time was like, mm -mm, you're not going to law school. So I took this job as a recruiter to, and I was recruiting people to sell life insurance. And after I'd been there for a while, they're like, okay, so we have, you have all these people take all these tests to see if they're, they would be great at selling insurance. We need you to take these tests. So I took the tests and my scores were off the chart and they're like, you got to do this. You'd be great. You got to sell life insurance. I'm like, no, that's okay. Like, that's not my thing. Like I want to go to law school. I, I have bigger plans and bigger vision. And they're like, well, okay, then you don't have a job. <laughs> like, you're not hmm. going to sell life insurance. You're not going to recruit for us. And so here I was, like, with no job, married to a guy that was like, you're not going to law school. And by that time, there had been a number of different branch managers. I'm like, you should really do this. So I started. <laughs> I studied. And I got licensed. And I just worked all the time. And back then, there was Smart Women Finish Rich, which was a book that was written by David Bach. And there, back then there was no, I mean, this was 99. Um, Maria Bartiromo and Susie Orman were like the only two women on TV, on CNBC, relating to money. And so I started, and that was my focus, was helping women with investing. And I just worked all the time. And, and still with the thought in my head, like, okay, like eventually my husband's going to let me go to law school, like let me pursue and achieve my dreams. And so were fast you, forward to uh, 2003. Yeah. Were you passionate about uh, the finance stuff with women? Like when you started off and what exactly were you doing? So I was, I mean, I was teaching classes and helping women invest really. And then I, I became a certified divorce financial analyst as well. And so that was really my niche was helping women that had no clue about money uh, because I was really actually me myself. I had married a financial advisor. Like he took care of everything. And here all of a sudden I'm thrown in this world of finance and I'm like, gosh, like no one should be doing what I'm doing. Like no one should leave their money up to their spouse. And so I just became this big mission to really help educate and inspire women when it comes to money. And then it got that niche specifically of helping people through the divorce process um, and just worked all the time. And I cold called back then. And so I, I had a lot of male business owners as clients and then a lot of females. And they were just executives, stay-at-home moms, divorcees, widows, and just really any woman um, that had, had no clue about money and found money overwhelming and intimidating. So in 2003, I resigned from Morgan Stanley and started a, a company called Strategic Financial. Um, and I was working then with my now ex-husband and um, I started then doing a radio show um, and did a radio show every Saturday for five years. It was called More Than Money. And so People called in and asked financial questions, and I, um, I don't like to compare myself to Susie Orman, <laughs> like the Chicago Tribune, like wrote this article, and they're like Nicole's the nice version of Susie Orman, and um, I, her, her and I are very different. <laughs> but basically, I, I did a radio show for five years, and then I moved over to TV, um, and still am doing you know TV and various different podcasts and various different things regularly. Um, pretty much almost daily. And then, um, so I always was asked, like, well, do you have a book? 
you have a radio show, like you're on TV, like, okay, where's your book? Where's your book? And when I was younger, when I was growing up, like I always wanted to write a book. I just never knew about what. And I'm like, okay, well, everyone's asking me like where my book is. And so I wrote a book about money. Now, fast forward, here we are. My fifth book came out and it's the fifth one is my best one. It's my favorite one. This is the funniest. Um, it's titled Who Pays? Navigating Love and Money. And it's all about like dating and money and relationships and like what's your own relationship with money, but what's the relationship with your significant other and money and how to have some of those tough conversations. And so, cause I, I learned once I wrote my first book, no one ever tells you like once you write a book that you need to keep writing books <laughs> because once you come out with the first one, then they're like, well, when's your next one coming out? When's your next one coming out? I'm like, just enjoy the ones that I have. Like, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. It's just that cyclical. Yeah. When, uh, yeah. I, I kind of want to rewind a little bit to 2003 when you're looking at kind of jumping off separate from like this big entity of Morgan Stanley. Was that intimidating at all? Or was, was it kind of like you, you had prepared those four years earlier and this was always, this was always in sight? No, it was totally intimidating. Like I, so I, I recently won the a Woman Business Owner of the Year Award. And um, in when I was talking and giving the acceptance speech, I said there was uh, Janet Dolan. She was the former CEO of Tenant. And I had an opportunity to meet her when I was young. And she gave me the advice of take risks when you're young. And so I have just followed that. Like anytime I've ever, like I bought a large commercial building almost two years ago. And like, Anytime I'm doing something that like pushes my limits and I'm like, oh my God, why am I jumping off this cliff? I like hear her voice <laughs> in the back of my head saying, take risks when you're young, take risks when you're young. And so my mom, my mom went out of business. And, um, and so my mom was in like the beauty world. And so she even put a hairstyle salon in her house so that like I was never in daycare. How am I going to like work and own a business or be a great mom and like work in the corporate world. And my mom jokes today, you know, she's like, you'd be fired a long time ago if you actually worked in a real corporate job just because of like, I want the flexibility and I wanted to be this amazing business owner and this amazing mom. And I hate the word balance, but I wanted to have that balance. So I just, I always knew that I would be a business owner. I just didn't know what capacity, but yeah, it was absolutely scary. It was totally terrifying because I had no health insurance and I even fell down a flight of stairs. <laughs> I think thankfully I didn't break anything, but I had no health insurance. You know, I was working on my help of my home. I remember going to Best Buy and buying an LCD projector because I would be teaching classes at the library and various different places. And I bought an LCD projector for $600 from Best Buy on 0% financing on a credit card. And I, you know, I just, I really believed in having no debt. And so I just scrimped and scraped and put the thing together. And I just, I just worked really, really hard. You know, my company was my first baby, my first child. And I believe, you know, what you, what you get out of things is what you put into it. And I just always believe like to really trust your gut. And I just might, even though I was scared and petrified of leaving the company and doing my business, it just felt right. Like it felt deep in my gut, like that was the right thing to do. And it proved to be the right thing to do. <laughs> how'd you go about also like, obviously starting a business, getting your first couple of bites is the hardest thing to do. Like, how'd you go about that process? Yeah, I mean, it was more or less just like calling people. I mean, my, my one of my um, first like bigger clients, you know, she was a, a woman and executive and 
her and I just connected, you know, business is all, my dad, even though my parents, my mom owned a business, but my dad wasn't in the business world. And, and I was the first generation to go to college, but my dad just raised me with such great morals and values. And my dad always just taught me, you know, it's not what, you know, Nikki, it's who, you know, and don't ever burn a bridge because you never know, you know, you may be having an interaction with someone and you never know that you may find later on you're in front of them for a job interview. So he's like, always, you know, respect other people, treat other people with respect, treat other people how you want to be treated. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like some of those strong values really helped me develop great relationships with people. And it's all about networking and it's all about connecting, especially nowadays with LinkedIn. I mean, it's amazing how, you know, you can get connected to one person and get connected to another person and you just keep that end game in mind and working on some of those basic things that you can make happen to get where you want to go. That's really interesting because I wanted to get into a little bit. You, your, your company had started in 03. So you've gotten to see this progression of, you know, social media and a, like a lot of how relationship, the way relationships start in business has really changed a lot. What, what has it changed specifically for your business and like, how have you seen it develop? Yeah. I mean, it's totally different. And even in the financial service, everything's a team. Like when I first started out, like you could be like a solo financial advisor, you know, now we have eight people on our team and it's like, everyone kind of has their role. You know, one person's doing the financial plan, putting it together, you know, one person's doing this and all of that. And so um, it's just the whole industry itself has changed, let alone, you know, it's nowadays, if I want to get connected to someone, I go to LinkedIn. When I first got started, you know, I would be meeting with an attorney in the morning for breakfast, and then I would go to a chamber meeting, and then I'd be on the phone cold calling, trying to connect and find people. And, you know, then I'd do a lunch meeting, and I'd be teaching classes, and now, you know, everything's virtual, and everything's online, and it's so much, it's, I feel like it's so much easier to get connected, and easier to do business um, than it was, you know, when I first got started. But it's all about like figuring out what do you like, what do you enjoy, and really defining a niche, finding something that you're passionate about, and really focusing on that. Because realistically, in, in 2012, I started all over. And um, because I went through my divorce, I had to give up my company name, my company website, my phone number to my ex-husband. And Prosper Well legally was a new entity in, in 2012. And so we started over and, you know, the new website, you know, the new branding, all of that stuff. And so it's so much of who you are and your relationship and your connection and your brand and your story. And it really, it's really been since 2012 that I really understood like how important it is to be willing to be vulnerable and to really be authentic. Like I'm not a huge person. Like if you say, Hey, let's go golfing. I don't really get excited, <laughs> but if you say, Hey, let's go on the lake and let's go on the boat, I get excited. So it's like, find the things that you enjoy and spend time with the prospects or your clients that enjoy those same things, because then you're going to have so much more fun with it. That's great advice. Got into it a little bit of in the, in the teens aspect, but I guess since 2012 and uh, the way Prosper Well has started off, how have your goals changed and what do those look like now kind of? post-COVID, and I don't know how much that, that that's impacted your business, but I'd love to hear more about that, too. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I always, um, I always wanted to be like the top financial advisor at, in our industry. And so I still have that goal. Um, and I've always, but you know, I did the radio show and I was like, man, like I really want to do so much more with that. Like I want to take what I'm doing locally and really expand that nationally. And I never really thought that, oh my gosh, I want to have offices across the country. And so um, I, two, almost two years ago, I bought a commercial building here out just outside of Minneapolis. Um, it's 9,000 square feet. My company's in there as well as we also have another mortgage company that's a tenant of mine. But now that I've got that up and running, you know, really my focus and my plan now, the average financial advisor is a 59-year-old male. That's not me. <laughs> and so I would love to find these financial advisors across the country that want to retire and want a succession plan. And I never really thought of that before. Like before when I was a financial advisor, it was I was just always like thinking about me and like, okay, like how can I grow my business? How can I gain more clients? And now that my business has kind of taken on this amazing new life and this amazing new path, I just see things so much bigger. And I've always just looked at like, don't ever like shoot for the moon. And that's great if you land amongst the stars. Like I've just always been, and it comes from my figure skating years. Like when I was a kid, one of my coaches had her PhD in psychology. And so she just always like worked with me of like the power of the mind and the mind is so even so powerful. And so for me, I, when I was first started out, I had this big goal. You know, every financial advisor, their goal is to be a million dollar producer, which means that's what you're charging your clients. And that's what you have in revenue. So then once you get there, it's kind of like, okay, let me reevaluate. And I reevaluated. I'm like, okay, so now where do I want to be? But I never really ever thought like, oh my gosh, like I could have an office in Florida and California and Colorado and Arizona and Texas and all these states, because I always thought like I was going to do it like myself. And now that I've been in business for a while, I'm like, you know what, what's made me successful is the people that I've surrounded myself with. And so I've been really pushing myself not to do so much organic growth and to really look at doing some acquisitions and being the succession plan for another financial advisor. And it just came from like, my parents just raised me to be super independent, you know, and they're like, if you want something, you've got to go get it. And that served me really well to a point, but now that I've got eight people and I've got this team and I have a building and I have all this stuff, it's like, okay, I can't do this next big leap all on my own. I've got to utilize these eight people and find even eight more people to help me grow my business. So it's grown just even, I mean, more than I ever thought it would be. It's just become really cool. For sure. And what have you learned uh, via like the hiring process? Like, how do you know that someone's a good fit for your business? It's the hardest thing ever. It's like dating. <laughs> it's like, how do you know this is the right person? And we'll, we'll use like Kobe, we'll use various tests and things like that. But I've really learned to rely on my team. And so, because I interview someone and like, there's very few people in this world that I can't get along with. <laughs> and so I interview someone, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I like them. They're driven. Like, they could be great. Like, you know, if someone says the key word of like, they're detail oriented or they're perfectionist, like, I'm like all over that. And so, but, so I'll do the interviews with the people. And then we then ask, have them answer questions. And then we do a personality profile and then they all meet with the team. And it's amazing how we, because we recently just 
hired someone and added someone to our team, we had two top candidates that came into the office to meet with everyone. And one was in the office for almost an hour and 15 minutes, almost an hour and a half. And the other one was 20 minutes. <laughs> it was pretty obvious who, who we were going to hire, but it was just amazing the connection. And, you know, for me, like, I don't believe someone has to have like all the skills. Like, you know, to me, I care so much about someone's attitude and who they are as a person and their motivation and, you know, for, that they fit with our culture and who, and who we are. Because for me, it's like, I don't make my employees work from eight to five. What I care about is that our client's needs are met. And so if a client emails at 4.45 in the afternoon, I'm not expecting my employee to stay and or just race out of the office. I'm expecting my employee to at least reply to the client and say, hey, I'm leaving the office. This, I'll work on this first thing in the morning or here this is where we're at. It's all about taking care of our clients and helping people feel comfortable with their money. That's what I care about the most. We're going to use that. Uh, our audience is probably skews more towards, you know, kids just getting out of college. And we have like a lot of people follow us who are like uh, run their own business, whether it's flipping shoes, whether it's, uh, you know, their own photography, videography type business. What, mistakes are we making right now people just starting off starting a small business what kind of like what what mistakes are we making right now the biggest thing i tell people like especially for like my clients that want to have this business or want to start this business is keep that if you have a job keep that job keep health insurance keep the job and do the business on the side until that business like starts to take off where you like have to quit your job and it's interesting because I just had this happen with a, um, a, I mean, he's a really good friend, but he's a new client and uh, he, uh, he's been working this business for a long time. Well, all of a sudden he just signed a huge contract, huge contract. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this money. Like I need to invest it. And I'm like, well, obviously you need to look at, should you be quitting your job? Because <laughs> it comes to the point of like, where, which path do you want to go? And then it's also really like trusting your gut and trusting your intuition because you know better than anyone else like what really you feel and what's really important and be very authentic and be very real and you know utilize linkedin or utilize um you know the opportunity out there to connect with someone and have a mentor because for me you know the people like i referenced janet dolan before you know, there, there was really one very strong mentor in my life. I mean, who was like my second dad, um, you know, he would give me the advice and even live near me. So I'd get the kids on the bus in the morning and he would drive by and he'd roll down the window. And he's like, remember to give yourself grace today. And anytime I had met him, I was always like, this is where I'm at. And, you know, I'm writing my fifth book and I'm going to redo my podcast and I'm teaching this webinar and I'm being interviewed here and I'm flying here. And he's like, Nicole, like, enjoy the moment, like live in the present, give yourself grace and just enjoy the ride because life goes by so fast. Like, I can't believe, you know, I won this business owner of the year award. Like I will always remember, like I was sitting in that audience watching all these women walk across the stage over the years, getting this award thinking, wow, I can't wait till I'm there. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm there. Now I'm old. <laughs> so just enjoy the ride and don't be hesitant to make mistakes and 
the other thing is out of the mistakes is where you learn the most. And sometimes out of the worst things in life come some of the best. Because that's that's where my live it list came from. You know, in 2010, um, that's when my personal life really fell apart. I'm a, I'm a survivor of domestic violence. My daughter was six months old and my son was two. And I, I got them to bed one night and I'm like, how did I end up here? Like, this is not who I was growing up. This is not who I was in college. This is not who I am. Like I had stopped traveling. I was not the smiley, bubbly person that I used to be. And so I'm like, okay, what, what can I do? Like, how can I, how can I get out of this rut? And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to redo my bucket list and I'm going to do one thing a month for a year. Cause that'll help. I was like physically numb, emotionally numb. Like I was a wreck from the outside. It looked like my life was perfect. I was on radio, TV, you know, had this gro starting to grow in this business. And so I uh, rewrote my bucket list. And one of the things on the list was to drive a race car. And I, for some reason was like, I got to do that first. Like that, like, you know, the challenge of it, this would be great. And so there's up in Northern Minnesota, there's a raceway. So I met with my best friend from college for lunch. And I was like, Hey, here's the deal. I'm going to do one thing a month on my bucket list for a year. Cause this is going to get, help me. I said, well, will you go up to Northern Minnesota up to Brainerd with me and drive a race car? He's like, Nick, anything you do, you don't just put hundred percent into it. You put 180, like you need to go to a real speedway. I'm like, okay, like what's that? Like still to this day, I don't drive a stick shift. <laughs> so I'm like, I really knew nothing about race cars. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, where would I go? And he's like, go to, go to Vegas. There's a, a speedway out there. I'm like, okay. So my parents moved to my house for the kids and I hopped on a plane and I flew to Vegas. And for some reason during all this, I thought that I could, should stay in this women's book club. So I'm on the plane reading Steve Jobs and I, the gentleman sitting next to me, you know, you have one of those really cast like, talk to you the whole time. Mm -hmm. I had that guy and I'm like trying to get back to Steve Jobs' book. Cause I'm like, I got to finish this for, for my book club meeting in Vegas to drive a race car. He's like, I don't get it. Like, you're not going to Vegas to gamble. And I'm like, I'm a financial advisor. I gamble people's money every single day. <laughs> Vegas to gamble. And he's like, he just couldn't understand. And so eventually I said, I, here's the deal. I just, I rewrote my bucket list and I'm doing one thing a month for a year. And he got silent and he's like, oh my gosh, is it cancer? And so it was at that moment where I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I can't go around telling people that I'm doing something on my bucket list for a year and I'm doing one thing a month. They think I'm dying. I'm like, yes, I am when I'm 104, but not today. And so Catherine, my chief marketing officer, we came up with the live it list and I trademarked it and I continued to do one thing a month. And then that stayed on after that. And I would do getting involved. I would do a thing with my business attorney and then my CPA. I started involving my friends. I started involving my kids. And then eventually I learned that one in three Americans is happy. And then I also learned that if you spend money on experiences, you're going to be happier than if you spend money on things. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like here's something that in this dark, horrible moment of my life where my world was crashing and falling apart, it was just something that I came up with to help me. And I had this aha moment of like, wow, like we can integrate this into our financial planning. Like we can help people with this. And so now fast forward, I have my own foundation. We grant live it list experiences. 
And it's part of our financial planning. Like, yes, we help people get to retirement. We help people get kids to college. We help people, you know, sell their businesses. We help people, you know, all of those things of life. But we also ask people, what's on your live it list? And we put that in their financial plan. And it's all, all about enjoying life today and being happy today, but also how you can enjoy life and be happy in the future. Amazing. And we, uh, you know, our extensive research department here at this podcast, uh, we actually, we, we found the limit list, love the concept. Uh, we, we did have some to say, and we love how you put yours on the website. We would like some clarification on a couple of these. Number one, one that's on your list that you haven't done yet is sit in a jail. And <laughs> we're wondering what crime you're hoping to allegedly commit. Well, <laughs> I don't plan to do a crime. <laughs> so it's just the sit in the jail. You just want to go sit in jail. And it's super funny because I have a client uh, that knows that's on my list. And uh, he, uh, he now, he was with the city of Minneapolis police, uh, but he's now with the FBI. And so uh, a few months ago, he was in the office and we finished our appointment and he stood up and he's like, I got my handcuffs with, and it was a Friday. He's like, I have my handcuffs with me. Should I book you right now and bring you to the jail and you can sit there over the weekend? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I just want to go sit in a jail for like five minutes. <laughs> for like 10 minutes. You don't need to book me for the whole weekend. <laughs> like, that's good. So yeah, it's, it's a, a, just a favor that I will ask before he, uh, before he retires. <laughs> that, yeah, that was one, because I could see a lot of different directions with that one going. Uh, the other one... So you've been hang gliding over Rio de Janeiro, correct? No, I haven't. I want to do that. I went hang gliding oh. in Minnesota. So Okay. When you go hang gliding, this is really personal, but like, when, I know with skydiving, you get somebody strapped to your back. And when yeah. you're like hang gliding for the first time, is it similar? No. Or they just let you go? No one. <laughs> <laughs> And it was actually funny because it came up on my um, Facebook feed today because it was a, a year ago today that I did this. Um, so it was, a, there was a rope connected to the boat. And so, and he took us up in the air, but you're like by yourself. You're not up in the air with someone. <laughs> it's a little, that was very exhilarating. That was scary experience, but it was fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, we got to, Dave and I have to get our limit list together. Um, but, but Nicole, we're, we're ending these, so uh, we uh, we end it with the Ari Moskowitz quick question round, so named after our only sponsor on this podcast, Ari Moskowitz. He is single and he is also unemployed. You could be the company or the lucky woman to fix that uh, if you hire Ari. Uh, David, any more on Ari that we need to say for this ad? <laughs> no, he's, uh, he, he's a good-looking guy. He's smart. He uh, had, to, had to use my freshman-year roommate, and he had a cleaner room than me and had a better GPA. So uh, if you're looking for someone to hire, Ari's your guy. <laughs> there we go. And without further ado, the quick question around, uh, Nicole, person you'd most want to sit down to dinner with? Oprah. Surprisingly, our first Oprah. But that's a great one. Yeah, uh, Oprah. Favorite city in the world? Well, my favorite place in the world is the British Virgin Islands. Mm. So it's an island, not really a city. But my favorite city would have to be Budapest, Hungary. Mm. Uh, is it okay to sleep with socks on? Yes, especially in Minnesota. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> favorite rom-com? How to lose a guy in 10 days. 
You know, that, that's, that's the most frequent answer. I think that one's number one. Uh, <laughs> best spot to eat in Montana? I have no idea. Cause it's, why is that in Minnesota? <laughs> I've oh never, my gosh. Never been I've, in my <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was Montana. I'm so sorry. No, I've never been there. And it, uh, so I to eat in, in Minnesota? <laughs> yeah, yep, that would be, uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have two, and they're both kind of connected to Miami. So there's Gianni's uh, for steak, which is in Wyzetta. And my, my, my favorite restaurant, not in Minnesota, is Gianni's in Miami, but they're not connected at all. And then for sushi, it's Sushi Fix here in Wyzetta. And I do have a client that's in Florida that he's got his favorite spot for sushi in Miami, but his number two spot, which he thinks is crazy, is here in Minnesota for sushi, but they fly it in fresh every single day. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm, I'm gonna just drill uh, state abbreviations now for before every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's too funny, Jake. It's all right. He's he he deserved. He needed to fuck up once. I fucked up like seven times. So he, <laughs> uh, in uh, in forty years, what will people be nostalgic for? What will people be? Mm-hmm. In 40 years, hmm. being able to like, like, rem like you yourself transport, you know, that you don't need to like get in a car. One thing people don't understand about financial wellness is blank. They don't understand anything. <laughs> <laughs> I really COVID like proved this. I was like, man, like this really proves that people don't listen to me because <laughs> You know, the, the, I'm, I just cannot stress enough. Like you need to have six to 12 months of income set aside in emergency funds and COVID really proved like people don't listen to that <laughs> because of the economic stimulus. And now that, you know, even there's possibly a second check coming out. So yeah. Um, it's that, that, you know, people think that the more money that you have, the happier you're going to be. And that's not how it works. Once you make 75 grand a year, if you make more than that, you're not going to be any happier. Once you have $75,000 of income, you, it doesn't matter the amount of money. Money doesn't bring happiness. Mm. Uh, favorite deal you've ever made? Buying my commercial building. Because the guy didn't, he wasn't wanting to sell. It was, up, the building was actually up for lease when I went and looked at it. Mm. And even when I went in there, you know, he is an older gentleman and he kind of was like poo poo me. So yeah, it was, it was, um, it's this amazing space and this amazing location. And I feel so blessed to have it. And he wasn't looking at selling. And so um, I really cannot believe that I made that deal happen. It was awesome. That's really cool. Uh, in one sentence, how would you sum up the internet? It is the most expansive, annoying, but fruitful thing out there. <laughs> In 2030, you can catch Nicole Middendorf blank. Uh, having my own national uh, TV show. Love it. Love it. Nicole, thanks so much for coming on. Where can our followers find you? You can go to prosperwell.com or you can Google Nicole Middendorf or go to nicolemiddendorf.com. And we're everywhere, LinkedIn, Instagram. Facebook, you name it. There we go. Nicole, can't thank you enough. We appreciate you coming on.